Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. You know, we've been talking about lust and adultery in the last hour based on the content of the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to, I think, just touch on that a little bit because I've got a, a professional counselor in my studio right now. So why wouldn't I take advantage of that? Because a question had just come in that I thought we could continue to deal with a little bit because it is a hot topic. But we've got uh, Todd Mulliken here with me today. And I love Todd. He's uh, marriage and family counselor. He deals with uh, all kinds of stress, anxiety, feelings of panic, ADHD, personality disorders, codependency, parenting issues. Kind of does it all. You can go to toddmulliken.com to learn more about Todd. See his good looking picture. Um, Todd, welcome. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate it. Yeah. So the question that came up last uh, half hour was, uh, can you address the difficulty when a wife refuses the husband's intimacy? It sounds like he's making a move towards his wife hoping for sex and doesn't work. Mm. What do you say to that? You're, I've got the counselor in the studio. <laughs> well, hopefully that's, it's not just a one-off issue there and they're stuck, right? Usually there's been stuff leading up to that moment and there will probably be stuff after that moment of, of him feeling rejected, perhaps her feeling like I'm really not interested in this because we haven't connected all day or we haven't connected all week or we've been struggling for a long time. So we don't really know what the truth is about their particular story and their dance. But we know for sure that we want both people to let the other person in about what they're feeling. Mm-hmm. Right? So ideally, <clears throat> he would, <clears throat> excuse me, the next day come back and say, <clears throat> you know, hon, when that happened, <clears throat> when that happened, I felt you know, rejected and hurt, but tell me what you were going through. Right. So we just, we got to do a volley there. Yeah. We have to create, otherwise we're defined by the hurt and that builds up. And then we don't know really what our spouse is feeling there. And then she would need to let him in too and say, here's what I was going through. And and this is just where I'm at. And now we've got a place to start. It sounds like you're risking vulnerability. You are. And the alternative is worse. Tell me what the alternative, alternative is. Alternative is is to just keep it in, go to um, perceptions that may not be true, make attributions about our spouse that may not be true, mm-hmm. define their intentions about this, what it must mean this, this is why he or she's doing that. And now we're just guessing and mm-hmm. we're predicting. And as I talked about last show, we're doing it from a hurt mindset. So we're going to always assume the worst there mm-hmm. and then not come toward it all. And even if it's a hard conversation, I mean, feeling rejected is hard, feeling put upon or like, I can't believe we're going there right now, honey, is hard. So Mm -hmm. there's no winners there. But God's in the middle of that and is still on the throne. And so how do we come alongside each other and try to look at what we're both for? So ideally, that couple is reframing the discussion, Bill, about what are we for with intimacy and what does that look like? Yeah. Wow. Because otherwise we're defined by the moment. Which is painful. Yeah. Yeah. And then that builds, and then we just keep growing apart. 
from those that unmet communication that happens there. So both people are hurt in that moment, and that's when it's hardest. Yeah. If you feel rejected, it's going to be hard to go back into that zone if it doesn't feel safe, right? Right. Yep. And now, now I'm giving power, though, to that, right? Mm-hmm. I'm giving power to the feeling of I feel rejected. And so it's, it's a lot easier for me to just hold on to something that I'm hurt by versus letting my spouse into what I'm experiencing. Yeah, which brings me to really my first point of what I want to talk about today, Todd. I want, to, I want you to elaborate on how people let each other in versus take things out on each other. I think this is a big biggie for couples. It is. Now, it can be as little as I had a tough day at work, so I come home and I'm emotionally just frustrated and kicking things around emotionally and detached Mm -hmm. to I've had a really tough afternoon dealing with um, uh, one of my parents who's um, going through a hard time and I've been talking to them over the phone and now my spouse is home and I I don't got anything. So, you know, there's a lot of moments like that in marriage, right, where both people are... Um, going through something, mm-hmm. and they're not doing well. And so because of that, it's easier to not mention that about what's happened and instead take it out on each other. So it can be as little as that, Bill, or it could be as big as, hey, you know, growing up with, uh, let's say I'm a male, growing up with uh, my wife or my mom when she would shut down when we get into a fight and she eventually left the family when I was 12, and now I'm dealing with my wife who's shutting down under stress, and now I feel like my wife's going to leave me. And instead of saying to her, golly, hun, when we get into this spiral here, it kind of reminds me of my mom leaving, and so I'm just stuck on this thought, And but tell me what you're going through. Mm-hmm. So it could be as big as that, too, where something I brought into the marriage is now happening to me, kind of, and instead of letting my spouse into what I think I might be going through, I'm taking it out on them by I'm hurt by what you're doing. You're shutting down on me. You're this, you're that. You know, this book says you're doing this to me. And instead of kind of attacking and taking it out, what I need to be able to do is back up the train and look look in my own heart and say, where is this coming from? And try to understand that and pray for discernment from the Holy Spirit about that. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to the comment, Todd. Todd Mulliken's my guest, that you made about the guy that maybe comes home, he's had a bad day, and he's kicking things around in his head, and there, he's hoping that there's some empathy, mm. but he also knows that tough love is another option as well. Like, oh, like, oh you're not going to complain about work again, are you? Because I've had you a tough be, day, too. You should be grateful that we mm. have jobs and that, you know, grow up. Mm. So... <laughs> Should we go to break, Todd? Tough crowd. <laughs> Tough crowd. I know. But that's real, right? Yeah. Because that person's going, I, you know, I didn't have a free lunch today either. No. No free lunch. Yeah. So go look in the mirror and stop whining, right? But you so, want empathy and you need we empathy. Do. We do. And, and how do you so, process and do it well? Right. What are the rules of engagement? The rules of engagement are like, if I'm on my way home, if I'm just fire ready aim, I'm just going to take it out then that's on me. If I know my spouse is coming home, I've had a tough day, I can either take it out on them and going, hey, what, what? Or I can say, hey, she or he's coming home. I get to give them my best. I'm stuck. I had a tough day. Someone let them in. I had a really hard day. I don't got much. Or and this person comes home. I got, I got, I got really hard stuff happening at work. I'm going through a hard time. I don't know what I'm doing. 
So now we're just letting each other in. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean we're having therapy for an hour. We're just just being mildly transparent. We're not breaking down stuff for an hour and a half, but we're just letting each other into what we're each going through. And if people did that a little more often, Bill, it would save a lot of messes that need to be cleaned up that usually um, don't get cleaned up. Mm-hmm. What you don't want, though, is for something to ex- explode or implode when you're trying to look for a measure of empathy, right? We don't. And so then what happens is I've got to, if I know the pattern in my marriage is, boy, when I bring something up, that just shuts him down or that just lights her up. So I, I'm not going to do that. Well, now I'm doing is I'm being defined by their reactions my whole life. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just staying in that place of swimming in that pool. Ooh, what would you call a person like that? I mean, uh, what category? Naturally, naturally a little more codependent. Codependent, yeah. They're, they're, I always tell codependents, be defined by your intentions, not their reactions. Say that one more time because I think de- that's important. Be defined by my intentions. Like James says, hey, you know, what are these b- quarrels amongst you, brothers and sisters? You know, it's because your motives, right? So my motive is to come home and say, you know, I had a tough day. How are you doing? And he or she could go whoop somewhere else with it because they, you know, they're on overload. And that doesn't mean I did the wrong thing. It doesn't mean I'm never doing that again because that's bad. That just means, yeah, they, they're, whew, they're swimming over there too, and that was hard for me. So now we're neither one is doing well, but we're going to walk alongside each other and try to come towards each other a little bit. So even using that expression, let's let each other in. Yep. Might be a nice little oh. phrase that you can use not as anything other than a, a, an invitation rug. Yeah. Step onto this invitation rug. Let's just let each other in. Sounds like a book, Bill. I, I don't have a book rug. in me. I love that. No, I got a pamphlet, maybe. <laughs> That's so good. A I light love brochure. That. <laughs> right. <laughs> no books. But what you're talking about is the proactive mind versus the reactive mind. And proactively knowing I got a couple minutes, connecting with the Holy Spirit. Here we go. Because I'm with the person that matters most to me in my life besides Jesus. So. I can either just like wing it and create a marriage like I saw growing up. I was kind of half-baked or I can be all in and try to be transformative. It's up to me. And what am I going to do to be proactive just a little versus just take it out? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, letting each other in versus taking things out on each other. That's point one. Todd Mullican is my guest. You can go to toddmullican.com, M-U-L-L-I-K-E-N, toddmullican.com. When we come back, I want to ask Todd about how do you recover when one has had an affair or is in an addiction. Be right back. Hearing Apple of My Eye by Stefan Grappelli on oh, jazz violin. Yeah. How good is We're that? We're talking about the apple of our eye. Oh. Todd Mulliken is my guest, and he is a counselor, uh, author, and speaker on marriage and families. Awfully glad to have him with me today. And the next topic, Todd, I wanted to touch on, and I got a great comment that I'd like to share as well, uh, talking about the previous remark about 
the man who makes an advance and it doesn't really go very far. And this comment came in, does his wife feel safe and cherished physically, emotionally, spiritually, and sexually? There you go. Whoa. Right. I mean, that's... And the other thing to remember, one of the first questions I'm going to ask the Lord on the other side, why in general, in general, why do men go from sex to emotions? And in general, women go from emotions to sex. I want to ask that because in general, sometimes when the man is initiating there, he's feeling excited about being with his wife. And that's the way he ends up feeling closer. But the truth of what this person said is right on, you know, is the woman feel chosen, noticed, you know, cherished, because that's the way for her to feel engaged at at an intimate level sexually. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm a man, I need to understand that about my spouse and how am I taking that into consideration versus, God, just the way I will feel close to her if we snuggle or make love or something. And Mm -hmm. how do I back that up and know because I cherish her and I'm for her, that's what matters the most. How do I lead out with that as a man? Mm-hmm. God, I prayed briefly during the break because I wanted to go to this topic, which is uh, very difficult. But how do you recover when someone has had an affair or is in an addiction? Mm. The reason why I think it's good to talk about it is still affairs are the number one cause of divorce in, in our society. So they still happen and they're hard and they're difficult. But I've done a lot of this work and I do think there are some things that couples can do to help restore over time when an affair is happening. And one is, uh, is, is the person who's done the betraying, he or she needs to make sure they have a really strong, healthy sense of remorse for what they've done and a healthy sense of giving their spouse reassurance that the affair is over and they are choosing to reengage in the marriage and they're for that. So they need to bring that posture in. In other words, if they don't have that posture, if they have a posture of, well, you know, the marriage wasn't going well, so that's why I stepped out. And, you know, this person who I've been with, even though it's over, I kind of wish I was still with that person. I mean, we have nothing then. Mm -hmm. That person's got to do a lot of individual work on their own to get themselves to the place where no marriage deserves that. Yeah. Right. So we have to have the person who's done the betraying bring a posture of remorse and reassurance to the recovery process. Okay. And what about the betrayed? The betrayed needs to, over time, get out of the affair time zone. Because what's happening, so the biggest thing that happens in the first six months is both people are in very different time zones. The person who is released and relieved that they're out of the sin and is actually, actually has some repentance and wants the marriage to get better needs to understand their spouse now is just open. They're just in the film room now. They're in the war room trying to figure out what just happened and put all the pieces together Mm -hmm. and go through all the five stages of grief and sort everything out. And so those different time zones, Bill, in those first four to six months are a big issue that they need to have understanding about. So the person who has been betrayed needs to do the best they can to ask questions, to share what they're feeling, to not rush through the trauma, but to choose presently today to say, I'm going to trust the intention of what they're doing today, not what they did in the affair. It was all a lie. It was all horrible because the problem with the betrayed person is the trauma that's going on is now put them right back in the affair when it was happening. Mm-hmm. And nothing, nothing is trustworthy about that. It's all horrific. It's all 
Um, God put in the Big Ten for a reason, right? They made the top ten. Mm-hmm. And so, but what happens over time is that the person who has been betrayed needs to eventually choose to trust and eventually choose to forgive. Not overnight, of but over time. Of course not. When you uh, have the situation arise in your counseling office, do you have a, a, a typical range where you think, it wouldn't surprise me if it took three to five years for the betrayed to feel like things are quieting down? Absolutely. I mean, and I know there's no time limit, I'm sure. No, that's a great point. And I, I, know, I don't know how this sounds to you, but it's all sin, right? <laughs> Any piece of it. But if you will, there is a difference from a flirtation for two months versus a five-year affair, right? right. Now, it doesn't mean it's, it's any of it's good, <laughs> right? You could end the marriage on any of that, right? You know, biblically, you could say, hey, this, this is it. I, I can't do this. And, you know, obviously, if it's been a long-term affair and the spouse is just finding out, it's going to take time to heal. And it's going to take a, a season of recovery where the person who's done the betraying is walking alongside, is empathetic, is understanding, is letting their... And I always have that person knock on, the, on their spouse's door. How are you doing? Do you have any questions? What's going on? Again, I'm so sorry. And the hurt person is just saying, I don't want to talk about it at all, or I want to talk about it for five hours in the counselor's office. And you kind of go with that because whatever he or she is feeling in their betrayed mind, we need to walk alongside that and bring healing to that and not rush that. So it's different for everybody, mm-hmm. the time frame. But I will say this, that... If the person who's done the cheating bill is really remorseful, and now we're a year into the recovery, we're a year and a half into the recovery, and the person who's been betrayed is really, really, really stuck, once in a while that might show like sometimes that person went through their own trauma growing up too, and now they're 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 dealing with that too. Uh, they're dealing with never uh, having forgiven, you know, never being forgiven for something they've done or never having forgiveness in their home. And now I'm going to try to forgive for the first time in my life in a difficult situation where I've been hurt when it was never safe to do that growing up. That that ends up kind of coming out a little bit for the really long ones that take a long time to heal over time. And that's not on the betrayed spouse. It's just, it's an understanding. That's why you know, I don't know how this sounds to you, but like for the people that do the work, that that take the time, that both are choosing to heal, their marriage usually ends up being better than it was for that small slice. Research says about 7%. So research is not good. It says about 65% of couples that go through an affair get divorced. Of the 35% that stay together, only 25% of that 35% have a great marriage. Mm. And so that slice of people are people that... Their marriage was better than ever was because they've done the deep work of recovery, and now they're doing the deep work, which is the second part of the counseling process bill, is the enrichment part. You know, our marriage really struggled for a lot of years. It didn't give permission for the affair. The affair was a symptom of other issues, um, but it, it was a wake-up call for us, and how are we healing together? So the other thing I tell people about halfway through when they're really stuck is I tell the person who's done the betraying, hey, look, don't you know, you have to know that... Empathy wins all the time in Jesus. Empathy wins. Empathy wins. Your spouse is crushed. They're crushed, you know? So you can either have shame like crazy or you can have empathy like crazy. Your choice. You're going to be ashamed of what you've done, and then you're going to not take anything good because you're hurt yourself. Or you can know that you've been forgiven and your spouse might never forgive you, but you're here and you're present and live into that. 
and be patient for that time. It's got to be the hardest thing that you deal with in your office. By far. Yeah. Yep. It's just hard to talk about, Todd. Yeah. You've done a nice job of laying it out, though. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. And, and I think with the addiction stuff, it's, it's um, you know, your real recovery show is a model for that, where you talk about how do people get through addictions, how do they heal, and how do you work on that. Grace of God only. 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 Right. And if that situation um, is only the grace of God, yeah. how could it not be? Mm-hmm. How could it not be? Yep. Absolutely. And so the when I'm dealing with addiction stuff, it's, it's a lot about the person who's working on the addiction. How are they doing with the remorse and reassurance and working their 12 steps and knowing that God's on the throne and their identity is in Christ. And the person who is exposed to that addiction, making sure they're, if you will, getting their Al-Anon on by not making their spouse do that recovery work, but they do their own work in Jesus to get themselves you know, to a place where they're forgiving because they have seen sobriety, they have seen sobriety, they have seen sobriety. This new norm is now not a moment. It's transformative. It's over time now, not overnight. Mm -hmm. And so that time zone difference is also true for those couples that are dealing with an addiction. Mm -hmm. Todd, if one is active in addiction and pushing the other one aside because the addiction is calling all the shots, I always would suggest that Al-Anon or a support group would be a critical step in that process. Big time. They have to realize they're being, you know, uh, trapped. They're stuck in a corner. The, the addiction is running the show. And so they've got to really work on strong boundaries, tough love, but get themselves to a place where they realize they're walking alongside their spouse and they're not taking it on. Right. Because if they start taking it on, that's the ultimate, that was the main reason we, we came up with the word codependency 50 years ago plus. Mm-hmm. How do you live with somebody that's an alcoholic? How do you live with somebody that's in addiction? And self-care is so critical. It is. It's huge. Otherwise, you're defined by the addiction versus defined by who you are in Christ and this person's brokenness. That's a different story. Yeah. And self-care would be critical in an affair situation as well. Absolutely. Because you know. now I'm defined by my what my spouse did versus, God, you, know, th- uh, you know, they got, that happened to them. I mean, it happened to me too, and I feel betrayed. That's what's a little stickier, if you will, about the affair versus the addiction bill. Does that make sense? The affair feels very personal to the person who's been betrayed. The addiction, sure, it feels personal because our world is blown up, but they can differentiate a little bit Mm -hmm. because they realize that's that person's issue. That's their addiction. I've got to maintain good boundaries here. Yeah. Todd Mullican's my guest. Go to toddmullican.com, M-U-L-L-I-K-E-N. So far, we've talked about how to let each other in versus take things out on each other. We also wanted to uh, do some work on how to recover when you've had an affair or an addiction. Of course, we're doing this all from 30,000 feet. Todd is a a relationship uh, counselor, author, professor. But when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about how to grow together versus grow apart. Because, boy, if you start at a very tiny degree of growing apart over the course of 10 or 20 years, that distance is going to be huge. So we want to talk about how to grow together versus grow apart when we come back. Todd Mulliken again is my guest. We'll be right back. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno, Brad Tom Drive. 
I'm back with Todd Mulliken from Mulliken uh, Counseling in Edina, Minnesota. You can go to uh, his website, toddmulliken.com. We're talking today about uh, improving our relationship, like how to let each other in versus take things out on each other. We talked about that already in the first half hour. And then how to recover if you've been in an affair or you've been betrayed or you've been involved with someone with an addiction. Now I want to move on, Todd with your permission, to how to grow together versus grow apart. Because if you have that little tiny separation of distance and then that grows over 20 years, then it's a, a gorge. Mm. And that's usually how it happens, right? That's What's the presence of small things that make the difference, right? In the and the absence of small things that make the difference. Small things. Small things are important, aren't they? They are. Yeah. And you've talked about with me the idea of um, oh, do we have a transactional relationship or do we have a transformative relationship? And so I the said I, that. Yeah, that doesn't sound like something I'd say. <laughs> well, I might have that cheated. Really smart. I, might have, I might have cheated up for you a little bit. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank you for making me look year, better. You're in a half ago on a Tuesday. I'm just kidding. Thank you. Oh, so good. So uh, last time we were we were chatting about time together is really matters and uh, the the importance of priorities. So one of the ways I found that couples grow together versus grow apart is really the essence of time and the idea of, of time together and knowing when your next date is, knowing when your next getaway is at every day of your life. Not as a get-to, but as a, uh, as a get-to, not as a have-to. Mm-hmm. Because we've got to come towards and see the best of each other in Jesus and we got more of a chance to do it on a date, more of a chance to do it on a getaway than we do any other way. And so we've got to be intentional about that, not as rigorous kind of inflexible traditions, but opportunities to see the best of each other in Christ. So one way that couples usually grow apart is when family time becomes more important, individual time becomes more important, and we just squeeze in the marriage time when we can. And uh, then, then we grow apart. So time is probably one of the biggest things. And, of course, in our time, what are we doing, right? Are we doing, as I talked about last time, some spiritual intimacy of just what's God doing? Are we talking about what we're for with intimacy? Are we talking about issues with parenting we're having if we have kiddos? Um, But we're letting each other in and just making quality time for each other. Phones away, like you and I have talked about, that, you know, the phones are turned off because we've got undivided attention. And it really doesn't matter where we are. Sure, we can be a Reuben, at a Reuben on a beach. That'd be nice. Or we can be in our living room. And that stuff matters where you know like it's the only person in your life. Uh, and so I would say, how are we doing as a couple coming towards each other with undivided attention? You know, last hour we talked about the word cherish. It's a good word. It is. If it's how you feel, you're cherishing your spouse. That's a, it's a wonderful place to be. It is. Yeah. And I know that for me, if I don't like pray for my wife a few times a week, then I'm more apt to think about the one thing that didn't go well versus the eight things that went beautifully. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And if I'm not bringing accountability to myself and praying for what I'm for with her and how I get to cherish her, if I'm not doing that, then, yeah, you know, it's on me. Mm-hmm. Right. So I do think that there's an accountability there of praying for your spouse. And I believe God just honors that with new eyes. You know, uh, it, it moves you from a place of kind of feeling a little bit stuck to, yeah, we didn't close the loop on that conflict well, but we had a really good day yesterday. And so we're, you know, I, I'm going to choose 
to do differently in my next conflict, but I'm going to choose her today. I'm going to choose him today. Uh, so I do think we need to be very intentional in our own individual time of praying for our spouse and getting our eyes uh, aligned there with Jesus' eyes towards our spouse. Do I have God's eyes for my spouse or do I have my own you know, human eyes for my spouse? So that would mm-hmm. be the second thing besides quality time, which involves spiritual time, uh, intimacy, parenting, all the stuff. But know? let's just say, Todd, that yep. two people have got tremendously busy schedules with busy kids, busy grandkids, the whole thing maybe, and we're just saying you're, everyone's executing their role to the max. Yep. But at the end of the day, there's no time for each other. Yep. But somehow everyone is saying, well, we're doing the right thing, right? Yes and no, right? Yeah. We're, those are all wonderful things. And so if I'm choosing to do that and we're for that together and I'm then not feeling connected, then that's on me, right? I mean, what am I doing then with that mindset? Hey, we've been busy. We've been taking care of the grandkids. We're, we love that. But I feel frustrated that three weeks ago on a Tuesday, my spouse said this to me. Well, that's on me. You know, address it and deal with it. But also, what are you, what am I doing with serving and coming towards. So even if we've got a transactional season, right, of busyness, that's why I I like to know when our next getaway is because we have to look forward to that. Yay. Even if it's a day and a half in a tent somewhere, you know, I just, we get to be somewhere together. You're saying all the wrong things, Todd. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we didn't take our kids kids camping and now they're all camping. So maybe. Are they really? Yeah. They all camp with their boyfriends and their spouses. spouses, yeah. Yeah. They like to camp. Uh, okay, let me ask you about um, growing apart. I mean, I know that this is probably, uh, by not doing this stuff, you're going to grow apart, but uh, what about when you're feeling things are growing apart and you're starting to think, how do I change this? Mm. Mm-hmm. It, it's a mystery to some guys, just so you know. Yeah. You know guys, I know guys, yeah. and we have conversations, right. and they go, I feel like I'm drifting and I don't know what to do. Yeah. My wife says, what do you think? And I go, I don't know. Yeah. Right? Sometimes it happens. It's just true. You're being truthful. Oh, absolutely. You don't know what you're thinking. I don't know sometimes, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so it's not like an excuse. It's just no. So sometimes as men, we feel less than. Doesn't mean women don't, but we feel less than. And then we, instead of being vulnerable about that, like the woman would love to hear, I don't know what I'm doing, but I love you. I mean, they would, most women love that. A spouse would feel like, Thanks for letting me in. Thanks for connecting with me. Again, he didn't talk about his feelings for five hours or read poetry. He just let her in to, I don't know what I'm doing sometimes. And Jesus didn't say, you know, hey, blessed are those that have their act together. Yeah. Didn't I'm start ha- with that. I'm going to have your wife in after you read poetry <laughs> for five hours. <laughs> just to see how truly miserable she we, is. <laughs> you've had her in before? Where? I know I have. <laughs> I'm just trying to picture you reading poetry for five hours. <laughs> My dad got his master's in poetry. Leave me alone. So, yeah. Did he really? Yeah, he did. From Hamlin. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, I'm just kidding. I, okay, I mean, that's yeah. not, I'm not kidding. Don't ever dad. tease me. No. Yeah. So I would say that's really a, a big deal. Uh, the other thing I, I talk a lot about on a monthly basis with pre-married couples in these settings is how do we accept each other's differences? Right? So, because that's another thing that people, why people grow apart. You know, I am somebody that loves to be timely and loves to be early and loves to have order, and maybe my spouse is very creative and in the moment, and we'll get to it when we get there. 
And both people can just get pharisaical with each other and just kind of build, keep score. Like, you know, my spouse is a slob or my spouse is running a military camp. Well, I used to be okay with that, but I'm not so much anymore. Now what? Yeah. So, I, you know, it's not intentional. You, you know, I'm not, I'm not waking up going, hey, I look forward to making life hard on my spouse today. So if I'm assuming with the spouse, my spouse is different with me than me in that area, and I just get to do Romans 15, 7 on the bit, accept one another's Christ accepts me in order, to praise, in order to bring praise to God. We don't accept adultery, addiction, abuse, or untreated things that are difficult and hard, but we can have differences with introversion and extroversion or how we go through our day or how we make decisions or how we take in information, how we think and how we share feelings or not. You know, most of the time people aren't waking up going, you know, I, <laughs> I, I'm looking forward to making life hard on you today, right? Yeah. So most of the time it's not happening. So one of the big deals is if I'm holding a resentment against my spouse for being a last minute Larry or being, you know, too like, you know, just kind of got out the referee whistle and having the kids do this, that, and the other thing. Let's have conversations about how we find middle ground on that. But let's also know that each people just being how God has made them, you know, how their personality is, right? And so there's a lot of room for, I mean, for me in my first year of marriage, I'm very extroverted. My wife's very introverted, and we didn't know that courting. And then we thought, my gosh, you know, he just doesn't, he doesn't stop, and she doesn't do anything. And both things are horribly judgmental. So until we figure that out, like, hey, what's the best part of extroversion? What's the best part of introversion? And how do we know that we get to let each other be that person God made them to be? Until we did that, we were all over each other, not helpful. Right, so we we need to make sure we continue to grow together by accepting those differences, versus trying to change the other person. That's a big one. That is a huge one. Yeah, because that that can flatten you out pretty quick. Another one is how do we clean up our conflicts? Right. In other words, when we've had a conflict, a mini one or a big one, how do we come back around and own our own part? which we might still not agree on something. We might still not agree about what the other person said in that one moment. No, you did not say that. Yes, I, you know, we could get wrapped around Mm -hmm. the axle with that versus like, hey, for my part in this, I am sorry because I I love you. And I'm just stuck on what what happened there yesterday. But we've got to learn as a couple how to come back with mercy versus scorekeeping. Because if we don't, then... That's another way we get kind of transactional. Yeah. How many of those disagreements have a period at the end of them versus an ellipsis? Oof. Well, you used a big word. Yeah, maybe. You know the dot, dot, dot? Yes. Like more to come? More I'm to not come. letting this go? I'm not letting this, this go. This will resurface? Right. Yeah. To be brought up later? Yeah. At a later date? Yeah. Yeah. Well said. So we get to clean up the conflicts. And the last thing I think that help us grow together is casting vision. Right. It's Say more about that. How am I, you know, there's a scripture that says without a vision, the people die. So, which doesn't mean we have a three-year plan, a five-year plan, always talking about it. It's just, hey, you know, the other day I was thinking of, yeah, I think I might want to retire in three years. You know, or, hey, you know, I'm doing this work uh, in this area in my volunteer life, and I, I think I want to do that for a long time, honey. You know, so we're, we're casting vision about what God's putting on our heart. Uh, about whatever we're going through. Mm-hmm. So how are we casting vision together about what we're for moving forward? So we keep, you know, we keep that spark of that we're intimate in Jesus together. We're talking about what God's putting on our heart. And I, that's the last thing I have couples do is cast that vision. 
talk about what's what's next and mm-hmm. what you're thinking about. When there is a little bit of struggle, is that good for a relationship? Well, let mm-hmm. me just paint this picture. I talked to an executive who was very successful, and his wife and him got divorced, and they had so many resources. We could they could do whatever they wanted, pursue any hobby, any dream, anything separately, which they did. Mm-hmm. And he said, "We just have nothing in common." That's a great example of growing apart. That, that, that's, that's what made me think of it. Yeah, is they they just had enough where they could do what they wanted, and it just took them in opposite directions. You do you, I'll do me. I hear that a lot. Exactly. You do you, I'll do me. And that's, we can have some of that, but we have to have what I call our base camp in Jesus, where here's what we're for with our values, and our. but we get to explore each other's, celebrate each other's stories and what God's doing in their life, but we always are coming together mm-hmm. on a date, on a, on a getaway. We're coming together. Sounds like not in a tent, though, right? Well, we're coming together right. and being with each other. Right. Because otherwise, that, that your friend's example is a really good example of what happens to couples yeah. that are doing well individually. Right. But not corporately as a couple. Yeah. Todd Mulliken's my guest. ToddMulliken.com is his website. When I come back, I want to ask Todd about the one key thing to do to work on strengthening your marriage or your relationship. We'll be right back. violin songs today, Todd. Oh, so soothing. It's so relaxing. Todd oh. Mulliken's my guest in studio. We've been chatting today about uh, couples letting each other in versus taking things out on each other, how to recover when someone's had an affair or an addiction, and how to grow together versus growing apart. That's all been part of the program today. So if you just climbed in your, uh, your Corvette and you want to hear the show from the beginning, go to MyFaithRadio.com. You can hear it right from our show page, Afternoons with Bill. All right, Todd, let's talk about the one key thing for each to work on to strengthen the marriage. Oh. A verse that came to me, and this is going to sound a little strange, was the fall of mankind in Genesis. So God, I don't know if everybody remembers what God said to Eve and what God said to Adam during that time. But God said to Adam, hey, to dust you are, to dust you shall return, you'll be toiling after selfish gain your whole life. And what I've noticed for men in general is oftentimes they're too defined by what they're doing uh, versus being more defined by who they're married to and being, you know, in one of my books I talk about five Ps, but just being really present and making conversations and initiating and choosing and cherishing. So because I think sometimes we take that burden on and we get caught up in the toil of the land, and our mind is going there a lot. And I don't, I think whenever we're there, we're not really connecting, and we're not really, I know when we're courting, we're not doing that very much. <laughs> and so nothing's changed. Our oldest just got engaged, and 
the, the man who proposed to her crushed it. He did a really good job. And then afterwards we sat down and I said, don't stop. <laughs> he, he looked Keep at me and he goes, I won't. I said, I'm just kidding. You're great. You know, and he did it. He made this little thing out of wood where he put a ring on there and said, um, honor one another above yourselves. Roman 12, 16. That was really sweet. So, but he pursued her. He chose her. And so the man gets to, gets to continue to do that. So when you and I are struggling with the toil of the land, we get to realize, hey, work is just work, and we're doing the best we can. But let's go find our wives. What does God say to Eve? He says, well, there'll be pain in your childbirth, check, uh, and your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Oh, thank you very much. So my interpretation of that is sometimes... I find that the women I'm working with are throwing too much of their identity into what their spouse is thinking, doing, feeling every single minute. Too much of their identity is there versus more of their identity and who they are as a child of God and all the beautiful things they bring into this story and knowing that they're for their spouse and they get to be honest and have hard conversations and they're talented and gifted at that. But be careful not to throw too much of their identity and what the guy is or isn't feeling is or isn't thinking is what I've noticed. Mm-hmm. And when they back that up a little bit and kind of, you know, gain more traction in who they are as a child of God and get a little less there, I find like their, <clears throat> um, their posture, their, their sense of who they are in Christ is, is, is really balanced well. And the guy usually responds better to that, too. He feels, and I think it gives her a better chance to look at who he is versus who he isn't. Okay? And the the one thing I've noticed most women struggle with is they look at who their husband isn't yet versus who he already is. Uh, And oftentimes men feel overwhelmed by that in the same way that the woman doesn't feel connected because he's home but nobody's home. So it's it's a really beautiful thing that you see in the courting process, and I just witnessed it, you know. It's a beautiful thing we see where, um, you know, she is really acknowledging what is wonderful about him, and he's really finding her and choosing her as present. And so that's just a taste, and it's mm-hmm. a special thing, which doesn't mean, you know, we've got to do that the rest of our lives, we better. Just, but we, it's, it's really fun when we do that. Kind of the sales and marketing phase. But, 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 but that... That what I'm hearing you say, Todd, yeah. is that should never end. Right. Yeah, and, and and but please have fun with that, and please know God smiles at that, uh, and know like if you and I are doing that from a place of well, I'll never get it right, I'll never be able to do that. Then we're operating out of like too much of my own identity is in this versus you know God's got this, and how do I know that the Holy Spirit is helping me and advocating on my behalf and saying Abba Father and and so let's do that. And those, are, those just make for better days. And so that when we have hard days, we know we have better days too. And we're working on how to handle the, the harder days better, but we're also majoring on the good days. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about this, these beautiful, beautiful people listening right now mm. who are created in God's image. And God is so pleased. And God loves them unconditionally. And I'm praying that you're... Your cup is full tonight because if you have a full cup, you can splash some of your fullness on your partner, mm. right? The best. Yeah, get ourselves filled up first. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and how, how important that is to know that God loves you and God 
handcrafted. You're one of a kind. Nobody, mm-hmm. li- there's nobody like you. That's so good. Yeah, yeah. And when we do that too, that takes us into those hard conversations, doesn't it? You know, better. It takes us into the harder conversations when we know that, you know, God is is for us and nobody's against us, as Romans eight talks about. And so we know, even in the hard conversations, we're still for each other right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's what we have to remember because that helps us not grow apart nearly as much. I think, Todd, the comparison game is one of the most poisonous things out there right now. Oh. I think it's always been bad, but I think with social media and everything else that we live with today, the speed at which news and gossip travels and everything else, you start to look upon other people's lives and you see their, shi- their shiny outside, but you don't know their inside. Oh, you know. One of the classes I teach as a professor is intro to social psychology. And the one of the top five topics are, are called, one of them is called social comparison. And psychologists have looked at that for decades. And you just nailed what it talks about. It always brings us to a place of not feeling enough and feeling like our, our priorities are all too defined by what others are thinking versus how God sees us. You know, it's too defined by what we think others are doing and we lose ourselves in that. So I'm really glad you brought that up. Whenever I find myself comparing my marriage to somebody else's or my family to somebody else's, I'm never doing it. So one thing I try to be intentional about, I don't know how this sounds to you, but I really try to be intentional about being happy for other people's celebrations. You know, when I can... the couple that gets a new kitchen or takes a great vacation and you start to go, well, boy, yeah, I'm jealous now. I'm just I know, saying, I, and I know I mean, there's sounds... a lot of things that can make you yes. feel a little bit uh, <clears throat> annoyed. Yeah. So be content in all situations. I, for me, that's a favorite verse of the scriptures. Okay. I know I get lost in Philippians four, six, and seven, where it talks about be anxious about nothing, but by prayer and petition give thanksgiving to God, and you know think about what is true, noble, of excellence of praise. Think on those things and put them into practice. And I usually stop there. Whoop. But then a couple verses later. I've learned the secret of life, whether I'm in plenty or in want, I've learned to be content in all things, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So that's, for me, when I'm in a contented place, I'm happy for other people's celebrations. When I'm not in a contented place, I'm doing exactly what you're talking about, a lot of social comparison. That's tough. That's really tough. And then I come home and I'm not, I'm more apt to take things out versus let my spouse in. Say just a little bit more about that. You, you come home with some of that information in your head that's bugging you, and yeah. you're not quite as ready to let her in as you normally would be. Uh, this is going too far, but I might even say, Gal, I don't know if I want to share this, but this is where my mind is taking me. Mm. And if I do that, if I'm a man, especially if I do that for seven days in a row by the seventh day, even if I had a tough marriage, I think my wife will be happy I'm letting her in. And if I'm a woman, I get to do the same thing. I get to let my spouse in. Versus take things out on him. It's a good. It's a good way to just slow things down and let the Lord in to say, "How am I letting my spouse in?" Uh, versus taking out what I don't know on my spouse. All right, Todd. Uh, people maybe driving home. They want to not try some technique on their spouse, but they want to have some loving, affirming, encouraging words. What What would you encourage them to say? Mm. Well. Uh, try to first see yourself as God sees you, right, as one of his beloved. And from that place, now have those eyes for your spouse. Start there. 
even if I've had a difficult day, I still get to do that because then it helps me realize that God, and, and that's what I love most about the scriptures, Bill, is Jesus had hard conversations, messy conversations. So even if we're going to have to have a hard conversation, center myself there first mm-hmm. and do what I talk about that five to one that we talked about last month, give five affirmations for everyone, criticism, mm. and just do gentle things like that. So maybe think of some nice affirmations when you walk Start in the door. Start there, today. yes. For a couple after dinner, huh? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Never can go wrong there. Can you, you can't. Talk? No, the five yeah. to one works. It really does. Rosie's shaking her head. At me. I don't even know what that means, but I can't wait to find out when we get off the air. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Todd. Always nice to have you here in Thank studio. You so much, Thanks Bill. for your wisdom and your counsel. Todd Mulliken has been my guest. You can head to toddmulliken.com to learn more about Todd. He offers all kinds of counseling services. He's got that kind, gentle, loving Christian spirit that I appreciate. That's all our show for today. I am so glad that I had Patrick join me to get things started. We started off a little bit on the light note today. And then the Monday afternoon mix was uh, lovely to have David Miles here and then Lori Bessonen as our special guest and Rosie B. And then this full hour with Todd Mulliken. If you missed any of it, you can always head over to MyFaithRadio.com. You know how much I appreciate you and how much I care about you. And I think about... You, as I go to bed, I hope you lay your head on the pillow knowing that God loves you and has got a wonderful plan for your life. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.